Lord, we pray that you would use your word to help us see your vision for our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Like all of you, people occasionally email me some lighthearted story they found on the internet, and I, I got one a while back, which, which I thought was pretty clever anyway, and it was an obituary, and it said that the Pillsbury Doughboy had died of a yeast infection. <laughs> it said Doughboy rose quickly in show business, but his later life was filled with turnovers, and he never really knew how much he was needed. Still, he was a role model to millions, and Doughboy is survived by his wife and two children, John Doe and Jane Doe, plus they had one in the oven. He's also survived by his elderly father, Pop-Tart. The funeral was held at 3.50 for about 20 minutes. I read that to my wife, and she didn't think it was funny, but she thought it was funny that I thought it was funny. So what are they going to say about you after you're gone? We all want our lives to count for something. You know, at our funeral, we want folks to say nice things about us. We don't want to just be space takers. We don't want to be just consumers. We want to make a difference. We want to matter. We want someone to say, my world is bigger. My life is richer. I'm better because this person walked the planet. So for the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about one of the biggest difference makers in the Bible, Joseph, and his story takes up the last 13 chapters of Genesis. Joseph winds up being prime minister in Egypt and saves not only Egypt, but the entire Fertile Crescent from starvation, including his own family, who then go on to become the ancestors of the Israelites. Plus, he's the first person in the Bible and maybe the first person in history to practice the art of forgiveness. Joseph made a big difference. So we're going to take a look at his life as a way of understanding the characteristics of a difference maker. What makes someone, what goes into making someone make a difference in other people's lives? And the first thing that I want to talk about is that a difference maker has a vision. Joseph had a vision for his life. Martin Luther King had a vision and it made a difference. So the question I want to ask you is, do you have a vision for your life? But before I go any further, I want to be careful because I think that question in our culture, do you have a vision? In our culture, that could just provoke a lot of anxiety and performance fears and pressure to succeed. You know, oh great, now I have to have a vision. You know, guess I'll pick that up at QFC or whatever, right? <laughs> and as Eastsiders, we think if we're going to have a vision, it needs to be big, right? The bigger, the better. Stop global poverty, save the whales, you know, something huge. But I think some of the most important visions are more ordinary and closer to home. This week I heard about a man who had a vision for his life that he would be an evangelist. For him that always meant preaching to thousands of people in, people in stadiums, but that never happened. But every time he was asked to teach Sunday school, he said no. Because he didn't see that as being an evangelist, even though that's a pretty good way to tell people about Jesus. He missed his vision because he thought it had to be this huge, gigantic thing. The stay-at-home parent who has a vision for guiding their children to become men and women of God. The coach who has a vision to teach more than just athletic skills, but life lessons about teamwork and perseverance. These people are making a difference, even though it seems kind of small and will never be famous. Here's the thing. 
God loves you, God loves me so much that he has a vision for our lives. We exist for a purpose. We're not just biological goo that happened to come together. God loves us so much, he has a dream for us, he has a vision for us. And for how we fit into his plan for what he wants to do in this world. This is not about an obligation, now you've got to go out and get a vision. No, this is an invitation to discover what God's vision is for us so that we can have the fullness of life in Christ. And I think the story that we read today tells us a lot about what a God-given vision looks like and how we can discover God's vision for our lives. And the first thing is this, that a God-given vision is never 20-20. God-given vision is never 20-20. In the story, Joseph has dreams of people and things bowing down to him, which he interprets to me that he's supposed to be a leader. But the details are pretty fuzzy, right? I mean, she's bowing down to you. It doesn't give you a lot of detail, right? He has no clue where. He has no clue how. He has no, uh, no clue how this is going to happen to him. And it's going to be a long time until he figures it out. First, his brothers are going to sell him into slavery in Egypt. Right? And you thought your family had problems, right? So anyone sell off their siblings lately? I mean, maybe thought about it, but right? That's got to happen. And then he gets falsely accused of raping his master's wife, thrown in the prison for two years. Finally, he interprets the king's dream and he's made prime minister of Egypt. But at 17, when he just first gets his vision, none of that was clear. He just had this vague notion that he's supposed to be a leader. I think we tend to believe that if we have a vision for our life, we're going to know every step of the game plan. We're going to know exactly how we get from point A to point B. But there is not one person in the Bible, not one person in the Bible, even Jesus, who gets the whole game plan. With God, it is always one step at a time. One of our elders recently said that She loves the verse where God says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future and a hope. She said, I love that verse, but I I always thought that meant that I would know the plan. No, not so much. God only gives us one step at a time, which we hate, right? But it's much better that way. For starters, it's more of an adventure. And it forces us to rely on God daily, which builds our relationship with Him. Plus, I don't think we could handle it if He showed us the whole plan. Do you? I mean, if when I was 25, God had come to me and said, Scott, here's the plan for your life. You're going to get married, and then you're going to get divorced, and then you're going to spend a lot of years working hard to become a college professor, only you're never going to be a college professor, and then you'll get married again, and then you'll be a college pastor, and that's going to scare you to death, But just when you're getting comfortable with that, I'm going to give you an audible voice that tells you to be a senior pastor of a mega church where everyone on the staff of that church will have had way more experience than you. (laughs) I'd have died of a heart attack if he said that, 25. (laughs) Do you have a vision for your life? And do you know exactly every step of the way how to get there? If you do, toss that out. It's not from God. God-given vision is never 2020. So if you're not sure of where you're going, celebrate. <laughs> you and Joseph have something in common. Second thing, God-given vision is always about the big picture. You know, at first, Joseph thinks that the vision for his life is just to get his brothers to bow down to him. And he's a pretty obnoxious kid at this point, right? I mean, he's his dad's favorite. That's always irritating. 
And then he really rubs it in when he says to his brothers, guess what I dreamed last night? Uh-huh. Y'all were bound down to me. Yeah, yeah. How's it feel, huh? Okay, that's a pretty petty vision, don't you think? God's vision was so much bigger. He wanted Joseph to introduce the king of Egypt to God and save thousands of people from starvation. But at first, all Joseph could see was the small picture. But God-given vision is always about a much bigger picture. And we need to let God expand our vision. When you walk into your office, do you see an office? Or do you see a battlefield where Jesus and the devil are duking it out for every heart, mind, and soul in that place? When you walk down your street, do you see a suburban neighborhood? Or do you see a place where God wants his kingdom to come? Do you see the bigger picture of what you're doing? I recently heard of a woman who's a stay-at-home mom and... People will sometimes ask her what she does, and when she tells them, they sometimes kind of put her down that that's not a significant enough thing. So she's developed this great answer that sort of captures how she understands what she's doing as a mom. And she says, well, I'm socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian traditions so that they can be agents of transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God had in mind from the beginning of all time. And then she says, and what do you do? (laughs) There's a woman who gets the big picture of what she's doing, right? Between the diapers and talking to her kids about their day after school, she understands that she is doing nothing less than changing the world by changing her part of the next generation. Do you see the big picture of what God's doing in your life? Because when you do, it's very inspiring. God-given vision is never 2020. It's about the bigger picture. And finally, God-given vision makes a difference. A God-given vision will always do two things. It'll make Jesus look really, really good, and it'll make a difference in someone's life. It'll make Jesus look really, really good, and it'll make a difference in someone's life. As a church, we've had a vision for 52 years to make Christ known. We've been doing that. Recently, one of the ways we're doing it is through the ripple effect. Because of us, kids in our church are going to have a place to learn about Jesus. Needy families in our community are getting the help they need at the Jubilee Reach Center. And there's a pack of street kids in Rwanda who will not die because of the center that we're building there. There, That's a vision that is making a difference, and it's showing who Jesus is. Another vision we've had is once a year to do an all-church service day in our community. This year we'll be at seven schools, and for the first time we'll also be serving the city by being at some local parks. And that is making a huge difference, and it's pointing to Jesus. A couple of months ago, something very significant happened here on a Sunday morning. The principal from Stevenson Elementary came to thank us for having worked at her school for the last two summers. And roughly paraphrased, this is what she said, I never thought about God or church until I met all of you. And now she's not only thinking about God and church, but specifically, she wants to know about Jesus. And the reason she's doing that, in her words, is because we gave with no strings attached. And there are a lot of other teachers and administrators who are saying the same thing. Plus, city officials are now talking to us. Okay, that's a mini miracle. In case you haven't noticed, we're not in the Bible Belt here. Right? You did that, FPCB. You made a difference. And this year we have a vision to include other churches so that it's not just our church that's getting the credit for this, but so that Jesus gets the credit. Because God-given vision will always do two things. Make Jesus look good and make a difference in someone's life. 
Now, you may think, well, wait a minute. Other churches, wait, 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 no. We started this thing. This is our thing. Why bring in other churches? They're the competition. No, the devil is the competition. Other churches are our friends. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have a little bit of friendly competition to spur each other on. I challenged one of the other pastors to get a thousand people from his church, and his response was, a thousand? Hmm, there's a number. I said, well, we'll try to get a thousand. So, so sign up for August 8th. We can't let them beat us. We started this thing. Sign up. Plus, it's just a ton of fun. You get to know people. You get to make a difference all in one four-hour shift. God-given vision is never 2020. It's always about the big picture, and it makes a difference. Now, you may be asking, okay, great, I need a vision, but how do I get it? How do I get one if I don't have a vision for my life? Well, the first thing to say is even if you don't feel like you have a vision for your life, God has a vision for your life because he loves you. That's why he made you. You have a purpose. So the question is, how do we discover that vision? A couple of things. First is prayer. Pray two prayers, the show me prayer and the use me prayer. Lord, show me. Show me what you're doing in my office, in my neighborhood, in my home, in my church. Show me. Show me what you're doing in the lives of the people I know. Show me, and then show me how I can be a part of that. And then, Lord, use me. Use me. And if you pray those two prayers a lot, be prepared to act, because God will answer. Second, study Scripture. Because it tells us what God wants to do in our world, and it shows us His priorities. And when we know that, it's easier to figure out what His vision for our lives is is third as socrates says know thyself know your skills your strengths your weaknesses your passions what are they a good question to ask yourself is what makes you glad what makes you sad and what makes you mad glad sad and mad at the intersection of those things there may be a vision for your life one of the things that makes me sad is when people reject jesus because they have stereotypes of who they think he is you know he's judgmental he's mean he's boring That makes me sad. What makes me mad is when those stereotypes get perpetuated by the media or worse yet, the church. But what makes me glad is when people see the real Jesus and accept him. And that has driven a lot of my life. As a teacher, as a pastor, as a neighbor, I want folks to know the real Jesus. Pray, study scripture, know yourself, and finally get good advice from trusted Christian friends. Other people often know us better than we know ourselves and can help us shape a vision for our lives. One of the people who has made a huge difference in my life is my grandmother. She had 17 grandchildren, and I was her favorite. (laughs) For most of her life, she was dirt poor. In fact, my dad remembers times when they couldn't afford anywhere to live, so they were squatters in abandoned houses. Not only that, but she married the wrong guy. He physically and verbally abused the whole family, and when he was done with that, he He left my grandmother in the middle of of the depression with six kids. It was behavior that he'd learned from his father, who had learned it from his father, and on and on and on. In fact, in the bottom right, you can't see it too much, but that's his shadow in the picture, which is a great metaphor for what he's done. He has cast a shadow on my entire family. Well, when he left, my grandmother had a nervous breakdown, went inside of her bedroom and rarely came out for six months. The kids survived only by fending for themselves and with the help of some neighbors. 
But somewhere in that six months, God gave my grandmother a vision for her life. And I don't think she ever could have put it into words, but nevertheless, God gave her a vision. And that was at the cycle of pain and abuse and poverty that had marked my family for generations would end with her. She was going to be the dam that held back generations of pain and poverty, and not one drop of that dysfunction was getting past her. And on top of all of that, all six of her kids were going to go to college. She didn't know how, she didn't know when, but they were going to go whether they wanted to or not. Now, for a poor, sometimes homeless, abandoned woman with six kids in the middle of the Depression, that was a pretty bold vision. So she pulled herself together. She got a job. The kids got jobs. God helped a whole lot. There are some great neighbors who helped her out, one who eventually took a shine to her and married her, but only after she got all six of her kids to college. Two of them went on to get advanced degrees, and out of her 17 grandchildren, of which I am the favorite, (laughs) there are degrees and titles and publications and more about penguins than you ever want to know. But more importantly, that cycle of abuse and pain and poverty had been broken. We Dudleys still have our issues, boy howdy do we, but I never knew the abuse that my dad knew, and I never experienced poverty like my dad did, and I had chances my dad never could have dreamed of, because in the middle of a nervous breakdown, in the middle of the depression, God gave my grandmother a vision for her life, and Jesus was a big part of that vision. When I was in college, I had a lot of opportunities to talk with my grandmother about Jesus. And it was clear that she had a closeness with him that was a huge part of her life. And she would always say, I never could have survived the things I've survived if it wasn't for Jesus. One time she showed me a picture of my grandfather and I I said to her, why do you keep that around? That, That man was nothing but trouble for you. And she said, it's my life. It's what God used to make me, me. Why would I get rid of it? Now, if you'd ask my grandmother, do you have a vision for your life? I don't think she ever could have put it into words. And it sure wasn't 2020. The details were very fuzzy. But it was about the big picture. And it made a difference to generations of people. And it made Jesus look really, really good. The world will never know the name Mary Amanda Morris Dudley Fry. But I know that name. And it's made a huge difference. And if it weren't for her vision, I would not be able to be your pastor today. Here's the deal. God loves you so much that he has a vision for your life. And if you don't know what that is, will you pray the show me prayer, the use me prayer, study scripture, get good advice, know yourself so you can find it. Because God has a vision. And God has a dream. And God is a stubborn dreamer and he's not giving up on his dream. And God's dream is to reverse the effects of the fall, to weave this world back together into a tapestry of harmony and wholeness. And God loves you so much that he has a vision for you being a part of that. When he created you, he had a vision for you, that you would would be spiritually whole, have authentic friendships, that you would walk closely with Jesus and partner with him in redeeming this broken world. You were not born just to consume. You were not born just to exist. You were not born to make widgets for a couple of years and then retire and get a gold widget at the end. You were born for a purpose. And when you find it, like a sailboat on a reach or a race car around in a corner at 90 miles an hour, you'll have joy because you will be doing exactly what you were designed to do by the one who loves you very, very much. Lord Jesus, thank you that we don't just exist 
but that you have a reason for us. Thank you that you love us and call us to work with you to redeem the world. And Lord, we pray that you would help us find that vision and follow you with everything we have. In Jesus' name, amen.